The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind. Your host, Nora Gedgaudis, is here to take you on a fun-filled and informational journey through the mind and your body with a focus on neurofeedback and healthy nutrition and what it can do for you, your family, and friends. Now, here's your host, Nora Gedgaudis. Well, hi, hello, and good Wednesday morning to all of you out there. I'm Nora Gedgaudis, of course, your host today, and you're listening, of course, to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. And I welcome you all to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Well, today we're going to be talking about where your food comes from and why you should care. Now, once upon a time, we hunted and gathered our food from our immediate surroundings. And although food may have been scarce or hard to get at at times, we never had to worry about the quality of our nutrition or its nutrient content or the potential for contaminants and pesticides and who knows what. So even after farming practices became widespread, most people either grew their own food, right, or they were related to somebody who grew their own food. And, and quality locally grown food you know, was, wasn't considered, uh, you know, the fad du jour. It was never far, far away or was it hard to find. And once upon a time, literally everything was pretty much organic and biodynamic and sustainably grown. So then came the Industrial Revolution, right? Oil and petroleum products, pesticides, mass production of food for a growing food industry, fast food, you know, monoculture, agriculture, and genetically modified organisms, all that good stuff. We also took the transporting the food we grew for thousands of miles from where it was grown, and we found ways of making what used to be certain seasonal foods uh, available year-round. Now you can eat strawberries in the dead of winter that were grown in South America or some other distant exotic locations, and we just sort of accept this as normal and natural somehow. Well, the meat we eat nowadays also really mostly bears no resemblance to the meat our ancestors once knew. Animals which once roamed freely in fresh air and sunshine and eating foods that were natural to them, today under some circumstances and and some conditions are, you know, they're confined to small dark spaces where they never see the light of day. They're facing inhumane conditions. They're shot full of hormones and antibiotics and fed supposed foods that were never natural to them in the first place and can even make them sick. You know, and then we eat that. Well, we as a species have lost our relationship to the land and and to other living things surrounding us. We've lost our place in the cycle of life, and we've forgotten how to recognize real food. Now, many have even forgotten how to care about any of this. As a culture of industrial indulgences, we've paid dearly for this loss of natural direction with our health and our environment. So here's a question to most 
you know, for most people, uh, and, and, you know, who never really bother asking, but everybody should care about and care deeply about, what does it take to grow real food? Well, joining us today are Chrissy and Kurash Zarpur from Kukulan Farms. Kukulan is a first-rate, I, I know this firsthand, <laughs> diversified farm. It's next to Oregon's Coast Range that specializes in the production of organic, biodynamic, and sustainably grown food. Chrissy and Kurash come to farming after an earlier incarnation as high-tech Intel employees with advanced degrees and have applied their considerable smarts to producing the best quality, sustainably produced food anywhere. Now, I spend an afternoon uh, with Chrissy and Kurash with a documentary film crew at, at Kukuland Farms last summer, and I was extremely impressed with their operation and no less impressed with the smart, passionate, and articulate people that Chrissy and Kurash are. So I am very pleased and excited to welcome Chrissy and Kurash Zarpur of Kukuland Farms to this show. Welcome to both of you. Oh, thank you very much, Nora. You're too kind. Ah, <laughs> uh, not not hardly kind enough. Okay, so first and foremost here, the question burning on everyone's mind, why the name Kukulan? We'll have to let Kukulan himself answer the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so this was a childhood name that my dad gave me, and he just felt kind of, kind one day and called me that and it's kind of stuck (laughs) sort of like being called sport or you know or squirt or whatever yeah he called you kukulin yeah it's just a little georgie porgy kind of variation on yeah (laughs) well i figured it probably had something to do with with kurash's name but um you know it's 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 one of those things that uh that when i tell people about your farm they're like (laughs) kukulin why that I think it's a great name. It's one that you're not likely to uh, to forget anytime soon. No, actually, one of the things we liked about it was when we did a Google search on it, nothing else came up except references that that you know have to do with our farm. Oh, great. I think the other the other reason it became a farm name, and I mean that's that's the source of the name, but the other reason it became a farm name is in Irish literature, there's a character Cuculin, spelled much differently. It's a Gaelic name. And um, I grew up with Irish literature and mythology, and so the first time Kurash's older brother called him Kukulan, I thought, you know, but my my first thought was that it, it was a reference to this Gaelic character. Oh, yeah. he's and Irish. So, <laughs> yeah, so it kind of resonated with both of us. And, yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, it, you know, it's a little hard to know exactly where to start with your background and all this, because truthfully, it's not like you guys went from from handling a computer keyboard to handling a pitchfork. I mean, you're you have pretty a pretty extensive background when it comes to food and animals as well, don't you? Oh, do we? <laughs> um, <laughs> I know well, Kurash likes animals. Um, so, yeah, really the start of the farm wasn't with having great plans and <clears throat> very methodical approach to food production. It was that I I liked animals and I liked I always liked having a a farm and um, this is how we started. That that was my incentive to not go over uh, or after um, um, 
high tech jobs in LA area and Chrissy gave me an incentive to stay here by by uh, buying a farm for me. And it was only after that that we started reading about the kinds of things that we could do on the on the farm. And as we read more and more um we realized that it is quite possible with with good planning and uh putting in the right investments and structures into to turn the place into a a very high quality something that we would like to to, um, to have and to purchase from right and um and you guys it, it gradually became what it became it wasn't with a with a pre-planned um, approach that we ended up here and you guys were pretty strongly influenced by Joel Salatin, weren't you? We we have been actually. That that's what I was just going to mention. When we bought the land, I also bought Kurash a book by Joel Salatin called "You Can Farm." Actually, I'm looking at it on the bookshelf here. "You Can Farm: The Entrepreneur's Guide to Start and Succeed in a Farming Enterprise." And Joel Salatin, of course, is um, a pretty He's, he's probably the most visible small farmer in America. He has a small farm um, in Virginia, and um, his his farm has been featured in The Omnivore's Dilemma and other stuff by Michael Pollan, and his farm was also filmed in the movie Food, Inc. So yep. I, I think a lot of people have heard of him and have at least um, you know seen little pictures of his farm. I wouldn't call us disciples of Joel Salatin, but we have several of his books on the bookshelf, and we're certainly very inspired by his excellent ideas on rotational grazing and having green food in all animals' diet and having a pasture-based approach to animal husbandry. Yeah. Now, you guys have a quite an array of things that you produce at Kukulun Farms, right? Uh, what all do you have out there these days? Because I know that that's changed somewhat over time. Well, well, part of what makes us unique, I think, is, is when you say, what all do you have out there? We're, we're really not just talking about our own little piece of land anymore. We've, we've sort of evolved into a co-op of tiny, tiny farms. And I'm talking about farms that have 5 acres, 11 acres, 42 acres of property. So really tiny, tiny farms um, where we're working with a lot of our neighbors who each, each have their own specialization in animal husbandry. Yeah. Um, so we, we're now um, offering beef, lamb. Uh, we're going to offer pork this summer. Right. Yeah. Um, we have two different chicken products. We we raise um, Cornish cross hybrid chickens, which are, are kind of the standard meat chicken everywhere. But we also offer heirloom breed meat chickens that are much older genetics that take um, almost three times as long to reach their mature weight. And those are completely raised outside on pasture. Now, why why the different why the different kind? A lot of people would think chicken is chicken, right? Uh, well, yeah, chicken is chicken, kinda. Um, but chickens in the last hundred years have been bred for economic efficiency. Right. Um, in 1935, most chickens were raised in very small flocks on virtually every small farm at the turn of the last century 70% of all farms had chickens on them and that's wow. certainly not true today and 
1935, chickens took 16 weeks to reach butchering age, and the average size of a butchered carcass at the market was two and a half pounds. These days, with um, the breeding that's happened over the last hundred years and the hybrid chickens now that we have, and I can talk a little more about the breeding in a minute, um, chickens reach market weight in 45 days. Wow. And a typical or the average carcass weight now in the grocery store is between four and a half and five pounds. So if you want to think of that in terms of, you know, human health and, and uh, human obesity, we're talking about, uh, so chickens reach their sexual maturity at 16 to 18 weeks of age. So when we're talking about butchering a chicken at 45 days, it's something like one-third of its way to puberty or roughly the equivalent of a kindergarten-age child. And it's now reaching a butcher weight twice what it was less than 100 years ago. So this is a kindergarten child who weighs twice the normal adult weight. Wow. And that's why the chickens in confinement poultry operations have this plethora of health problems, including um, poor hearts, lots of heart disease, lots of heart attacks, um, weak leg bones that can't support the rapid growth and deformed legs and an, an inability to walk and support their own body weight. Right, and you kind of have to question how good that kind of meat is going to be for the people that consume it. Yeah, and, and it's not just that. It's not just the the breed itself. Um, the uh, they, these chickens are also bred for, um, originally were bred for a uh, confinement operation. The hybrid yeah. chickens. Um, these hybrid chickens, they uh, sit kind of docilely in, in one location, and you deliver the food to them. Uh, they, they are not mobile enough to kind of go and find their own food. And... Um, and, and so they don't they never see the light of the sun yeah and um overall things have reached the state they are today because um a a bunch of things came together you want a chicken that you can raise yeah. inside you want a chicken that doesn't move a lot therefore most of what it eats yeah. uh, turns into uh, what you can call flesh. Yeah. yeah, see, the thing is if you can confine them in, in high density, you don't have to provide them with a lot of space. Right. It's like, it's like having kindergarten children sitting on a couch watching television rather than allowing them playground access. You just need less land. Right. So we have to go to our first commercial break right now, but uh, when we come back, we'll definitely get into this more. We're listen, uh, you're listening today to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. I'm Nora Gudgaudis. We're talking today with Chrissy and Kurash Zarpur of Kukuland Farms, and we will be back in just a moment. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to the show. We're talking today to Christian Kurajzarpur of Kukulan Farms here in, in Oregon. And uh, we're talking about what it takes to grow real food and why why you should all care about that now i think you know people often get the impression that you know because you guys don't you know you're you're not selling your uh your chickens and you know your beef and whatever at 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 conventional grocery store chains um you know it's more of a specialty type Food, and I think people get the impression sometimes that the price tag associated with the kind of quality food you grow means that you and Kurash are somehow wealthy organic food barons, you know, living high on the hog, as it were. Um, you know, no pun intended. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth, as I understand it. You guys don't get uh, many lavish vacations, much less even a day off. Your job is uh, pretty much twenty-four-seven. So why well, did you? Well, actually, as a matter of fact, we still have to keep another job in order to be able to uh, to just have a normal life. Yeah. So why would you choose to do it that way? I mean, why would you choose to do that? Work as hard as you do for something that doesn't uh, necessarily pay that well. Um, I like it. <laughs> 
Uh, not really. Um, it, oh, you would have it, it to. I mean, it, to... I know you guys are very passionate about what you do. It's I know it's a labor of love for you guys. Yeah, I'd have to say that too. So we we both have always worked hard. We really just enjoy working hard, but but we care passionately about what we eat too. I think for Kurash, it's more about the animals. For me, it's more about the food. But at this point, I'm just not willing to put this stuff in my mouth anymore. That that can be bought at the grocery store and and for us it was a compelling enough cause that we we changed our lifestyle and work harder than we ever have to get the quality of food that we want to be able to eat right i, I don't know of any farmer around us and there are lots of them who does the farming because they just have to and this is the only thing they can do um if if you consider the life of a small farmer, um, all their savings, uh, the house, the property, the family, and the marriage, everything is invested in the farm. Yes. If anything happens to the farm, if uh, for some reason the farm is lost such that did happen 70 or 80 years ago on a very, very large scale in this country. It wasn't a job lost. It was a life lost. Right. And uh, uh, really, there can't be any other motivation in in signing up for something like that other than the passion, other than wanting to do that. Most of our neighbors actually for a um, good portion of their life, they had some other job in conjunction with with building a farm. It is true that in all of these cases, to varying degrees, uh, they have um, they are or they have paid attention to the quality of the product to the extent that, for example, we have done. But all of them have liked that kind of life, and without it, they just wouldn't do it. They all had better paying jobs than somewhere else. And, uh... Yeah, let's just say your motives aren't financially driven in this, which, you know, I, I, I think there would be uh, cynics, at least in some places, that, you know, that might, that might think in terms of, um, you know, that there's somehow some kind of a greed or, or financial incentive attached to you growing uh, your food the way you do. No, there is a simple experiment any one of your listeners can actually do for a few weeks, ten weeks, and they immediately realize that um, although the food produced at this quality does turn out to be more expensive, the financial reward can't be um, the objective here. And um, any any one of your listeners can buy five, ten chicks from a food store and feed store and uh, they can raise it for 10 or 12 weeks and they kind of write down what it takes to raise them Um, and you'll see that even with free labor that they put in, the chickens will turn out to be uh, at least twice as expensive as the processed food you get at the store. Yeah, and, and that's with free labor, right? You're not paying anybody else, um, right? So, uh, it, really, the f- 
purely the financial way. It's, it's a sad commentary that you you put so much into this work, and you probably produce the the only item in in the, in anyone's life that your life depends on it, and still the the farmers are the lowest paying uh, paid uh, segment of the society, and we've gotten used mm-hmm. to it. Um, but even at at much much higher prices, uh, the financial incentive can't be the only reason right. you're doing it. It's just a lot easier to go do something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you know too from a from a nutritional standpoint. I know really the quality of the meat that we eat is really directly correlated to the quality of the manner in which the animal from which the meat comes was fed and treated. Now, I know that the fatty acid composition, for instance, of, of pasture-raised versus feedlot-raised meat is about as different as night and day. And stress hormones from you know inhumane practices, too, have a role to play in what ends up on your plate and influencing your health, too. So, But to care about all this means a lot of extra work and consciousness about what you do, doesn't it? It does. You have to be a lot more careful about, well, not so much more careful. You have to be a lot less blind about what <laughs> what good. kind of food you buy. Right. Um, in the last hundred years, Americans in particular have been tricked into thinking that is equal. We have these uniform nutritional analyses on the back of our packaged food, and we're used to shopping just based on price. So it's time to do your grocery shopping. You compare the Fred Meyer ads, the Albertsons ads, and the Safeway ads, and you see who has the product that you want for five cents less. And the assumption there is that all the products are the same because right. everything is industrially produced. Everybody pretty much carries the same brands. Everybody's got Foster Farms chicken. Everybody has you know, Hormel or Smithfield pork, it's all the same. And and the fact is it's it's not all the same. Um or or at least food that's raised well is not the same as that food. And the reason that those foods can be offered so cheaply is that there's been a series of cost reductions and industrialization that's happened incrementally over the last hundred years. And so we've had a 5% price drop with a 5% quality reduction and a 10% price drop with a 10% quality reduction. And these things have continued to happen for 80 or 100 years so that now the food that we buy at the grocery store is maybe one-third the relative price that it was 100 years ago, but it's also much less nutritionally dense than it was 100 years ago. Right, right. We actually have a we actually have a caller on the line. Uh, somebody named Rich from Oregon has a, apparently a question uh, for you guys. Rich, hi, hi. Actually, it's a thank you for you guys. Um, one of the things that I hear that keeps bothering me that everyone talks about is the price of the food. Um, the food that you know Kukulan produces and other people that are doing food production like them is not actually very high when you consider the added price downstream of the additional medical care that's required by people simply because of what they're buying in the supermarkets today. 
we could save huge amounts of money. Right. You right. know, by doing it up front. Um, you know, for example, I don't know if anybody reads the Nutrition Journal, but they recently did a study of grass-fed, totally grass-fed, versus, you know, meat that is grain-fed, including in the finishing lots. And it, there's a world of difference between the health factors between the two. It goes from, like, unhealthy for factory farms to probably neutral to when they just finish the beef off with, uh, you know, oats and the like, to being healthy through the way Kukulan does it. Yeah, absolutely. So, there, There is... You know, many people are just extremely short-sighted about uh, the kind of savings that they think that they're getting. And what you, what's really important for people uh, to do, um, you know, is, is to consider the long-term impact on their health, their children's health, the environment, um, or the kinds of agribusinesses, for that matter, that their food dollar is supporting. Exactly. But I, want, I do want to again express my thanks to people like Kukulans who are doing the stuff that needs to be done. And again, to emphasize to people that they'll save a lot of money in the long run by going ahead and eating healthy. Yep. And healthy like Kukulans, not healthy like USDA says. Yeah, well, exactly. Okay, thank you. You're so welcome, Rich. Thanks show, for calling. Thanks, Rich. Well, we need to go to another break here. Um, so. Why don't we do that, and then we'll come back and talk some more about this, because I, I think these are some, some good points that Rich brought up. And um, everybody, you're listening to uh, Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. We're talking today with Chrissy and Kuraj Zarpur of Cuckoo Land Farms. My name is Norika Gaudis, and we will be back in just a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC Science Consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. 
Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice American Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to the show, everybody. We're here today talking with Chrissy and Kuraj Zarpur of Kukuland Farms. And we're talking about quality food production. Um, what it takes to grow real food and, you know, not factory farm food and why you should care about that. And, uh, now you guys are actually the biggest small chicken producer in Oregon. Uh, and you're only one of supposedly four farms in Oregon to actually have licensed inspected poultry processing right on the farm. So why go to all that trouble? Why not just leave the processing the chickens to somebody else? Oh, you know how to ask a question that will get us all fired up. Oh, (laughs) okay. Well, I figured there would have to be a compelling reason for you guys to to go through all that. Yeah, well, well, there's two reasons. So one one is the practical reality that you have to be licensed in order to sell chicken legally. Mm -hmm. Um, State laws on this do vary state to state, but in Oregon it's not legal to sell even one chicken um, butchered to anybody unless you have a license to do the butchering. Wow. Okay. Um, in other states, there are exemptions for up to a thousand birds, but in, in Oregon, that's what the the requirement mm-hmm. is. So we wouldn't be able to take our chickens to the farmers market or offer them to restaurants without the licensing. Is the practical reality. Okay. But separate from that, um, we we have, uh, or, or really the birds have, the luxury of not having to be trucked to slaughter. And um, the the birds that we raise here on our farm have about a, a two-minute tractor ride from one end of the property to the other. And because it's such a short trip and we have so much direct control, um, we can catch our birds right at dusk the night before they're going to be slaughtered. Chickens... Um, shut down when it when it becomes dark. As soon as it's dark, they go to sleep. And uh, so we, we catch them at dusk as they're getting ready to sleep for the night. Um, we, we have what they call them transportation coops, um, plastic boxes uh, with open sides to carry them in. The boxes are designed to hold 16 birds, but we only load eight birds in each crate. And then we drive them a couple of minutes to the other side of the property where our slaughterhouse is. And our crew likes to start work at 3.30 in the morning. Now, that wouldn't be our preference. We like to sleep in a little later than that. Uh-huh. But when you've, when you've got four people who are willing to help you butcher chickens on a regular basis, you work when they want to work. Right. 
they like to start at 3.30 in the morning, so we're actually starting to butcher the chickens before they wake up for the day. And what that means for the birds is they never have the stress of having food and water withheld or being awake and stressed out, um, you know, just waiting in this confined quarters or or watching their fellows being killed. Right. And so the the stress that they experience is far, far less. Yeah. Um, well, and people don't really consider the impact that the stress hormones that are produced by these animals at slaughter end up on our plate, too. Yeah, and I'm sure you know more about that aspect than we do, so... Enlighten me too. What does that do nutritionally to the meat? Well, we consider that stress hormones are stress hormones. They're they're going to have an impact on our own, um, you know, on our own hormonal levels, on our own stress levels, uh, and you know, it's one of those things that we don't necessarily. Um, uh, well, I mean, I, I think it just sort of speaks for itself. It's not a desirable thing. <laughs> Uh, to to I, mean, I think most of us are flooded enough with stress hormones living the lives that we lead in, in modern times, um, you know that we don't need to uh, you know eat the meat of animals that have been summarily um, stressed to the extreme. Actually, this was one of the main factors that we decided on um, slaughtering and um, our other animals such as the lamb and the beef the way we do um, we have a uh, a mobile slaughtering um, truck basically coming to our farm therefore <clears throat> our beef and our lambs are not shipped or trucked anywhere and probably I've seen in the <clears throat> in the um, documentaries that the cattle are driven to the place they get to slaughter with um, electric shocks and prods and so on. And um, it just didn't didn't seem right for the animal to have to go through that at the end of its life. Um, it's not really just for the chickens that, that we do this. I remember once our, uh, our processor came here and one of our lambs had jumped over the fence and it took some running after the lamb to bring it back. And although he had come to slaughter the lamb, he said, I'm not going to do that today. Um, the body of the lamb is now full of um, stress hormones now because we had to run uh, after it. Right. So we just leave it, and I'll come back later um, in a couple of days when the animal is calm, and we'll process that then. Yeah. And that's and that's the man we're paying to do the slaughtering. It's hugely inconvenient for him to do that and affects his profitability. But that's the caliber of the people that we're working with. Exactly, to do our slaughtering. There, there is a very principle-based, you know, uh, thing that we're talking about here. There, there's ethics. Um, there's a degree of humanism in this that. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know the the number one thing you have uh, people who are oriented toward vegetarianism complaining about, um, of course, are the deplorable conditions under under which animals that are raised for food live, as if the only choice, you know, is is factory farmed uh, factory farmed meat. And of course, the alternative to that is not necessarily vegetarianism. The alternative is the kind of farming that people like you and Kurash do. 
Um, you yeah, know, you guys go through great pains to do who, the right who, thing. Who drink milk and eat eggs when the milk and the eggs are coming from animals who are raised in exactly the inhumane, confined industrial environments that they purport to object to. Right. Exactly. Um, the the biggest compliment we get, I think, is when people who have been vegetarians for 10 or 15 or 20 years come and buy meat from us and say, this is the first meat I've had in 20 years, and, and I don't eat meat unless it's from your farm. Now, I, I don't actually think we're the only individuals in Oregon who sell meat no. of you know this level of principle and this level of quality but the the point is when you're when you're having a relationship with a small farm and a small farmer and you see your animals and you know where they come from i think you can feel good about eating meat and arguably you can feel better about it from a, a humane treatment of animals standpoint than you can about factory farmed eggs or milk yeah i i think that that's one of the one of the things about you know modern day our modern-day food supply that gets overlooked the most is the fact that we have uh, such a limited knowing of where our food comes from, you know, most people in our culture today. And I think it's one of the most important things you can bring people back to is a first-hand knowing of where their food comes from. I'm always encouraging people to go out to places like yours and other farms where um, where they can actually look you know, in the eyes of whatever is going to end up on their dinner plate at some point, see how the animal is raised, see what it's being fed, and understand what goes into producing the food that ends up on their plate. And I know you guys run tours, um, you know, all of the time uh, at your farm. And, of course, I was extremely impressed by the one that I got. Um, we Sorry. Um we we do have tours we um we 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 try to kind of bunch those together and, and there are only two of us and we have one farm helper and really to do what we do um we we need to spend most of our time um doing the farm work uh, so we try to kind of group people together when they come and visit the farm um but it certainly is possible to give us a call ahead of time and kind of schedule some time that the weather is good and there are a couple of other people and then go right. to a uh, farm tour. One thing that I wanted to mention, um, following up on the previous caller's uh, comments regarding the actual cost of, of food, regardless of how we're going to calculate it and we say whether it's high or not, and even aside from the quality of the food, I think this is very, very important that um, the quality of the food is only one factor which adds to the cost of the food. Really, for any any food product to be produced, <clears throat> let's say a chicken that we buy at the store, um, we will start with a chick that that we buy all operations start with that and then you need facilities and then you need the feed and then you need the labor and then the processing and packaging and taking it to the market each one of these um, adds a little bit to the cost of the, the finished product that, that we buy 
And one of the things that, one of the factors that has greatly contributed to such cheap uh, food that we find at the store is that um, for each one of these processes, we have been able to greatly reduce the cost. One of the areas is the labor. Right. Um, we do depend, in the U.S., we do depend on very, very low labor cost, mostly using seasonal um, farm labor available. Um, many of them come from um, the uh, Mexico and other places. And at the end, you've got to ask yourself whether this is right or not. Mm-hmm. Not not just whether I'm getting the right kind of product which is good for me or not, but whether what I'm doing is right, whether whether I'm the kind of person who chooses to eat uh, um, what I eat um, and transfer that cost to somebody else or do it on the shoulder of some poor guy who has to live in a miserable condition just because I want my uh, cheap right. food. Right. And, there, um, there are an infinite range of morally compelling reasons, you know, to buy your food locally from producers like you and Chrissy. We have to go to our final commercial break here, so please, uh, everybody, stick around. You're listening to Ukurash and Chrissy's Arpur of Kukulan Farms. And I am Norgid Gaudis. You're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. We will be back in just a moment. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended. A jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa, where America learns to invest. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Chrissy and Kouraj Zarpour of Kukulan Farms about about healthy food production and uh, what it takes to produce real food and why you should care. And, uh, you know, Chrissy, when you and I, uh, you know, were talking uh, earlier, we got onto the subject uh, that I think people need to hear about of how agricultural law currently influences all of what you do and, and how does it influence the quality of what people are buying in even the more maybe even natural food uh, grocery stores. Um, actually, learning about agricultural law has been a real interesting journey for me the past few years. My dad's an attorney, and my baby brother is an attorney, and uh, so I've, I've, you know, kind of always grown up with some or some awareness of law. Um, but I didn't, I didn't understand agricultural law and how it applies to food until we started producing food and, and trying to get licenses for doing it, and the and the laws are overwhelmingly stacked in favor of large-scale production. Right. Even, for example, things like um, organic certification or um, uh, certified humane kinds of labels are, um, when you get those certifications, the fee that you pay is a per-animal basis. So... Um, the certifying agency itself has an economic incentive to cater to and in some in some cases alter their requirements to meet the needs of big agriculture and this is this is talked about in a book that i'm I'm reading right now, which is called righteous pork chop um, that that's uh, just out this year um, but but in particular, for example, with chicken processing and and other large scale meat processing. The, the laws are written to, um, or the codes are written to facilitate the process and the equipment rather than the outcoming quality. Um, there was a case a couple of years ago where a small meat packer in the Midwest wanted to test every single carcass for mad cow disease to be able to document for its customers and especially for its export customers that every carcass was clean. And one of the large meat processing packers made a suit against them, um, claiming that it was, and actually the USDA uh, agreed in their favor that it was it was forbidden to test each carcass for mad cow disease because, gosh, if they did that, consumers might demand that all places do that. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> and so instead, the, the laws are written to favor things like you need a process that takes each carcass and dips the carcass in chlorinated water at the end of the process to kill bacteria, and you have to have this automated expensive equipment to do that process, although at the end of the line, you don't test the carcass for the presence of bacteria. You just assume that the chlorinated water has resolved the problem. Wow. Um, and, and when the codes are written that way, what it means is that small, even small processors have to buy this expensive automated piece of equipment because the code requires it. Um, but then that capital cost gets divided among fewer animals. 
Uh, and that's why why we and other small farms choose to be USDA exempt because when you become uh, a USDA licensed facility, which you have to be if you're going to kill more than 20,000 chickens a year, wow. all of this automation is required. And if you only want to kill 20,000 chickens a year, your chickens are going to be, I don't know, $60 a piece by the time you factor in all this extra capital equipment. Um, whereas when you're when you're much smaller, you don't have to have that automated equipment. You're exempt from those automated requirements. It almost literally makes it impossible to make a living, uh, or worse. Of course, I know the way things are set up now, um, uh, no matter who you are uh, in the farming industry, it's all pretty much set up. People are oper- uh, are set up to operate in a place of debt. Yeah, it it is. You have to you have to have this expensive equipment and expensive facilities in order to produce meat uh, animals on contract for the big brands. Um, the other thing that people don't realize is every single day, your government regulations are telling you what you can't eat. We think we live in a free country, but the last time somebody told you what you can't eat for breakfast was this morning. Um, you can only buy meat by the cut if the individual carcass has been USDA inspected. And a, a USDA inspector is essentially a veterinarian who looks at each carcass and decides this one's safe to cut up. And you can only buy meat by the cut, by a, an individual steak or roast, from an inspected carcass. So you can't buy our meat just as one cut. You have to buy um, a one-eighth or bigger share of the animal, which means you have to buy a 60-pound increment of meat. And that makes it more difficult for people, um, you know, on a smaller budget or with a smaller freezer to buy meat this way. So that is your government regulations controlling what you can and can't buy. Right. Well, of course, you know, you have to pay that veterinarian. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is that I can't buy my neighbor's uh, jams that he makes in his kitchen, I can go there and eat it as much as I want, but I can't buy it. And I don't know, it was probably 35 years ago, 40 years ago, last time, and my, my mom told me, you can't have this and you can't have that, and that was the end of it. Yeah. Um, but now there is somebody who decides what is it that I can eat and what is it that I can't. And, uh, and that sounds troubling to me. Yeah, it's extremely troubling. I I would submit that one of the most effective and direct means to vote against all of this is basically with your food dollars. Spend your money on the kind of principled food production that you want feeding your families. And don't turn turn a blind eye to where your money goes. I mean, the best weapon against ignorance, of course, is education. So, I mean, download this podcast and listen to it again and again so you can recite what Chrissy and Kourosh are telling you in your sleep. And this is the best way to beat the broken health care system, everybody. Stay healthy. And you're going to stay healthy by eating the kind of food that is based on principled food production that is geared toward producing a healthy product. Well, Chrissy and Kourosh, your contribution to this topic of discussion is just immeasurably important. You two put to words so eloquently the very things people need so much to understand about all this. And where our food comes from and what price are we really paying, not just in dollars, but in health care costs and even a certain moral cost on so many levels. And we all need to care passionately 
about where our food comes from. And you do the best job of any people I know of making the case for responsible agriculture. Um, I feel pretty amazingly lucky that we have you here in Oregon. But there needs to be many, many more farmers like you everywhere in the country. And that said, it reminds me, for everyone out there interested in knowing where you can find quality produced real food in your own local communities, go to www.eatwild.com, E-A-T-W-I-L-D.com. And also, Christine Kurosh, how can people find you? What's your website address? Uh, our website is just www.kukulonfarms.com. It's K-O-O-K-O-O-L-A-N, farms, with an S, dot com. And there is um, a form on the front page that you can sign up to get our monthly newsletters, too, and we'd be happy to have anybody from anywhere in the country sign up for our newsletters. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it, you guys. Uh, so thank you guys so much for being on the show. Sorry it can't be longer. I wish we had hours. <laughs> And, and for the rest of everybody out there, I'd love to have you all tune in next week when we welcome back neurofeedback expert Dr. Julian Isaacs to talk to you about, or to talk with us all about what we can do to positively impact the aging brain and even help reverse the hands of time. You're not going to want to miss it. So until then, remember, if it wouldn't look like food to someone wandering around 40,000 years ago with a loincloth and a spear, it's not food for you now either. I'm Nora Gadgadis, and you've been listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. I would like to thank my sponsors, the EEG Institute, offering the most trusted and respected source of information and training for neurofeedback, truly world leaders in the field. You can reach the EEG Institute at www.eeginfo.com or at 818-456-5965. I would also like to thank the Nutritional Therapy Association, the NTA, for their generous sponsorship. The NTA is the best, most trustworthy and reliable source of foundational nutritional education and nutritional therapist training here in the U.S. and possibly the known universe. I just can't say enough good things about this organization. You can find the Nutritional Therapy Association at www.nutritionaltherapy.com or you can call 1-800-918-9798. That's 1-800-918-9798. Tell Marcy Nora sent you. Thanks, too, to Biotics Northwest, the source for exceptional healthcare practitioner quality supplements for every health professional. You can reach them at www.bioticsnorthwest.com or at 1-800-636-6913. Also, be sure to visit my website at www.primalbody-primalmind.com, where you can also get my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, Empower Your Health, Your Total Health, The Way Evolution Intended and Didn't. Thanks again for listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, hosted by Nora Gedgaudis. Come back for another great program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And have a great week.